quieter. It's a little more intimate in here. You've got people coming and going. But really, I just have a great sense of expectation, even as we experience this morning, of God ministering to our lives and through our lives in a unique way over the summer. So we're going to talk today, this is kind of part two. Uh, last week we talked about, it was Mother's Day, and we talked about uh, the, the, the one thing moms and grads and all of us need to know was that life, we should live not to impress other people or please other people, because that doesn't really work, but to please God. And this is part two of that, pleasing God part two. We're looking at, okay, that's nice, I should please God, but what, what is a life that is pleasing to God? And sometimes it can be deceptive where we think we're doing stuff for God, but really, it's for us. It's kind of like, I've got a friend who, his first year he was married, his wife's, uh, for their first anniversary, so one year after they got married, he got his wife a gift for one year anniversary, and it was an iron. (laughs) Men, not a good choice for a first anniversary gift, or any anniversary gift, or any gift for your wife, all right? That wasn't really for his wife. That was, that was just a bad idea. I, I did something when I was a kid similar. We were, I think it was for Easter or something, and my, my brother, and I had a brother and two sisters, we would like going to this little pet shop and looking at all the pets and thinking, oh, that'd be cool to have one of those. And there were a few pets that we brought home without our parents' awareness. But this was one of those situations. There were, there were rabbits. There were little bunny rabbits in this pet shop. And we went with, oh, what a great gift for mom. <laughs> Let's get a little black bunny and a little white bunny, and we'll give it to mom for Easter, and she will love it. <laughs> and, you know, really, it wasn't about mom. We just, like, were excited about having little bunny rabbits. And so we, we, there was this old cage in our backyard, and we sort of fixed it up, like kind of hammered some boards together to try to close it in. And Easter rolled around, and we gave my mom these two bunny rabbits, which she didn't want bunny rabbits. <laughs> Never. That's, if you're a mom, you know, that just, that means more work for mom. That's not, you know, but it was, it was something we really were excited about, and so we presented it as a gift for our mother. Now, there was, uh, you know, I don't know if it was, it was probably connected to the origin of this gift, but Rabbits, have you ever had rabbits? There's just a lot of, you know, pets in our family growing up, there were a lot of untimely deaths involved. And, you know, there may or may not have been one of those bunnies that got eaten by our puppy dog. <laughs> there may or may not have been another one of those bunny rabbits that was up on a rooftop patio and hopped right off the roof <laughs> to a little too far below. Um, that may or may not have happened. But the, the gifts didn't really bring a lot of pleasure to my mom. Let's just, let's just say that. And you know, we do this with God, though. And it's, we're not the first ones to, to think, maybe, that we're going through life pleasing God. But it's really, it's really not. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at two main passages today. 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to read this in the New Living Translation. And this is a summary of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, who were God's chosen people, and he led them. They started out, at this what we're talking about, in slavery. They were slaves in Egypt, and God led them out of captivity to the land that he had promised for them. But they had some struggles along the way. And I'm just going to read, read along here. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. I do not want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness, 
long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. So this is telling the story of the Exodus, where miraculously, God's presence was with this, this group of a couple million people, and there was literally a physical cloud that was over them during the day and that led them where they needed to go, and a pillar of fire at night. And they, they saw this day in and day out. And God led them early on in this journey. They came to the Red Sea. And what are we going to do next? And if you've seen, you know, read the Bible or seen any of the movies about Moses, Moses sticks out his staff over the Red Sea. And God separates the sea. And the people walk through. God blows, brings a wind, and the ground gets dry, and they walk through. And then the Egyptians try to follow after him. And the waters go back and, and drown their enemies who are trying to chase them. And so these people, they, they saw God's presence and his involvement in their life in incredible ways, in miraculous ways. They were all, they were all part of this. It says in verse 3, all of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them ate the same spiritual water. Which is interesting because part of their story, the story while they were in the wilderness is that God provided for them Bread that every day little wafers would fall, would just appear on the ground. That God would miraculously provide for them the food that they needed. And a couple times when they were, they were thirsty and they didn't have enough water, God miraculously, through his servant Moses, produced water just coming out of a rock. That one time Moses spoke to the rock, the other time he was supposed to, or one time he, he hit the rock, the rock, the other time he was supposed to speak to it, but he, he hit it. And water came out of this rock and supplied resources for the people. And so they saw all this happen. They saw God's provision and his, his involvement. They were, they were God's people. They were in the middle of this. Um, it says, they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. And so that's kind of deep. But literally what it's saying is that even though Jesus had not yet been born on earth yet, but that Christ was present in their midst, feeding them, providing them, working in their lives, giving them everything they needed. They were, they were drawing life from, from God himself, from Christ himself. But look at verse 5. This is, this is the this clincher, kind of, about what we're talking here. It says, Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's a scary thought. You think about that. God was doing all these things, and they were around the things of God. They were close to what God was doing. They saw what God was doing. But they, it, it would have seemed like, okay, we're God's people, we're good. But God was not pleased with them. Because although he was present and active, the response of their heart was not what was pleasing to him. And that can be so easy for us to be in the same place. It can be easy for us to be seeing good things around us. Experiencing good things on our right side and our left side. Seeing God at work. But yet, if our, the response of our heart is not what God is looking for, then he is not pleased. It goes on in verse 6, and it says, These things happen as a warning to us, so that they would not crave evil things as, as they did. So that we would not crave evil things as they did. Or worship idols as some of them did. And so it's listing out some of the things that kept these people from pleasing God. So they, they craved evil in their hearts. They worshipped idols. Their hearts were drawn after other things. So as the scriptures say, they celebrated, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Or some translations say, they, they got up to play. Verse 8, we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die. 
in one day. Nor should we put, God, put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. Oh, wow, so this is part of the whole story. Is that there was a time when the people, how do they put God to the test? Well, basically it was by being impatient with God and saying, God, you, you said you had this good stuff for us, but we're not experiencing it yet. Man, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt where we were. We're tired of this, and this, this food's getting tired. We're tired of it. Give us something new. They were complaining and impatient with what God was doing in their life. Um, they, were, they, they were putting God to the test in that way. I, you know, I, just a little side note, but I think sometimes I hear people talk, say things like, oh, I'm just so mad at God. And I get a little, like, I think you're a little too casual about that. Like, it's become kind of culturally acceptable, even in the church, to be, and it's important to be honest with God. But there's a difference between holding on to a place in our heart of, oh, why isn't God doing this to, for me? I'm, I'm irked about that. You know, that's, that's something that is, I think, crossing a line that we need to be very careful about, that we may be putting God to the test and losing sight of who he is, just because things may not be going the way that makes sense to us or that we want. Um... Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did. There was a lot of grumbling and complaining going on. And then they were destroyed by the angel of death. So there's this list of all these things that were, were not pleasing to God. Craving evil things. Idolatry. Putting God to the test. Grumbling and complaining. There was division going on. Verse 11 says, these things happened to them as examples for us. So if we're smart, we can learn from them and not repeat the, the bad consequences they experienced. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of sobering, kind of discouraging. Like, man, why are you talking to me about this this morning? Man, it was all, I was happy before you started going here. And we're not going to end there. But it's, it's important to be honest. Like, how much of my life am I maybe around things? It's easy to go to church. And that's one of the biggest criticisms people in the world have about Christians. Is like, well, they do all this stuff. They, they say they're a Christian, and they, but really, if I look at their life, I know that that's not what a Christian should look like. And how e- it's easy to look at other people like that, but it's so much more difficult to, to see it in ourselves. And so it's important to look, okay, what is what's really going on in my own heart? And so, if it's easy for us to live like this, what is the way out? How... Because it's easy to see how we can fall short of pleasing God, right? I mean, any of you besides me, it's like, wow, man, I, I've done all that stuff. I find myself there. Well, what, how can we please God? Well, the classic answer in the Bible is found in Hebrews 11, verse 6. And this really sums it all up. We're told by the author of Hebrews, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So according to that verse, this is a question I'm going to ask, wanting an answer. What is required to please God? Faith. Good. Ding, 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 ding. Got the answer right. All right. That's the point. So, pleasing God. If we want to please God, it's easy not to, but... The thing that pleases God is faith. Now that sounds really good, right? But what does that mean? What, what, what is faith? And there's a lot of different thoughts. Sometimes I, 
I like to ask people, hey, how's your faith? And sometimes people, they go, well, it's good. I, I believe in God. I, 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 or I, I believe, you know, I believe Jesus died for my sins. And that's good, but that's, we're looking for something a little more. I think God is, that's important, but the Bible actually say, it says in James chapter 2 that it says, you believe in God? Good. Or in my paraphrase, like, big whoop. Like, big deal. You believe in God? says, big deal. The devil even believes in God. And shudders. Uh, believing in God isn't really the kind of faith, like, everyone has, actually, everybody believes in God. God, everyone knows that there is a God. God has put that revelation, that realization, in every person. That, but that's not enough to please God. There is a kind of faith that pleases God. And this whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 is, it's called the, the, uh, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Or the Hall of Faith. It's a list of all these people who lived with faith and what, how, what they did through their faith in God. And so, today I want to just talk about, just kind of pulling things from that chapter. And I'm going to encourage you to read that on your own. But three ways that, what, if you have a faith that pleases God, what does it look like? What does faith that pleases God look like? And there may be, uh, probably, I'm, I'm guessing that there's going to be just one of these that is most important for you today, where you sit. That, I mean, all these are important, we need all of these, but my hope is that there will be one of these that you're like, man, I, that speaks to me, I need to really focus on that and grow my faith in this area. So three things, and they all, they all kind of rhyme. So, I'm going to wrap it. No, I'm not going to do a wrap, but um, we could, you know, some of you can make a wrap out of these three points and bring that next week, and that, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe, maybe Marcel, maybe you can lead us in a wrap next Sunday. <laughs> that'd be cool. So, all right. You guys following me so far? Yeah. Any questions? All right. We're after faith that pleases God. The first aspect of faith that pleases God we're going to talk about today is faith that pleases God offers our best... And trust Him for the rest. Mmm, yeah. Fun there, right? Offers our best. Trust Him for the rest. Now, too often, we have this, this theology towards God that's like leftover Christianity. So often when I talk to people like, Hey, can you do this? Or, hey, are you ready to follow God in this area in your life? The answer I hear is, well... No, I can't because I don't have enough time for that. Or, I don't have enough money for that. Or, I can't do that because my schedule is full with this. And that is indicative of a leftover mentality towards God. The idea that, okay, I'm going to take care of all this other stuff in my life, and then, with whatever I have left over, I'll... I'll give that to God. And you know what happens? There's usually not much left over. And really what that indicates is where our priorities are and what our faith is in, really. Um, faith that pleases God is a faith that, that gives God what is valuable. It's a faith that sees God as worthy of everything that we have. Worthy of our whole lives. Worthy of our best. Worthy of our first. Worthy of our our best time, our best resources, our best energy. It says, God, you are worthy, and I want to place you first in my life. 
And we see in the story of the Israelites, like they had to have a faith in God that said, God, you're worth trusting. Like we're going through this wilderness thing. And sometimes we get tired of this food and we get thirsty and it seems like it's taking a long time. And they had to have a faith that, first of all, God was worth it. And second of all, that God was good. And that there was a reason he was, he was leading them through this difficult time. And that if they trusted him in it, he would lead them to something better. That's the sort of faith that pleases God. And, you know, there's, in, in Hebrews 11.4, um, we're going to look at just a couple of these examples in this, this chapter. There's one example of this that says, in, in verse 4, it's talk, these are all people from the Old Testament that please God through their faith. It says, by faith, Abel, Abel was one of the first sons, Adam and Eve, the first people on earth had, their first two sons were Cain and Abel. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable or a more pleasing sacrifice to God than Cain. And so they both offered up sacrifices, but Abel's was more acceptable. And I believe it's because he understood this principle of putting God first. If you actually look at the story in Genesis 4, we're going to just do that quickly here, of when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God. Again, they were both doing things that looked like they would be pleasing to God. They both brought a sacrifice, but only one of them was pleasing to God. The other one wasn't. It says in, in verse 2, again, she, speaking of Eve, the first woman, bore his brother Abel, bore Cain's brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So read that, and it's kind of, that's a big mystery people ask, but hey, why, why did he like one offering, why not the other? You know, it may have had, I think it probably had something to do with the fact that you've got the, a sacrifice that really is meaningful to God is one that involves something dying. And so an animal that, that was killed, was a, blood was shed, there's something about blood being shed that, that atones for our sins and that, that is really important. But what it says directly here is that Abel brought of the first fruits, the, first, the firstborn of his flock. It gave of the first. And so that means the first offspring that was born, he brought to God. It was the fat portions. It was the best portions. And all throughout the Bible, you see this. The God instructing us to bring our first, to bring our best. Um, we're talking, even with our, with our financial giving, the Bible says, bring your first fruits to the Lord. When you give financially, give first, and then figure out what, what happens next. But place God first, and then everything else follows after that. And so, that's the sort of offering that pleases God. And it's, you know, I sometimes hear, well, I'm, um, I'm not giving this, maybe, I'm not giving money to God because I'm giving my time to God. Or the other way around. I'm not, I'm not giving my time to God, but I, I give money. And, you know, I think really that's oftentimes an indication of I'm still holding on to something. Like, this is what really I want to have first in my life. And I'm willing to give these other things, but I don't trust God 
with this. And so a faith that pleases God is a faith that says, God, I trust you with the things that are most valuable, most important to me. So the question for us is, man, what, what am I sacrificing to please God? Am I, am I giving my best, or am I giving leftovers to him? All right, any questions about that? All right, faith that pleases God offers our best, trust him for the rest. And really, that's where it gets exciting. When we're giving God our best, he comes through in miraculous ways that we, we don't experience any other, any other time. The second aspect of faith I want to talk about this morning is faith that pleases God treats our desires as if they might be liars. There's that rap, okay? Marcel, we work on that. It treats our desires like they just might be lying to us. What do you mean by that? It means not everything we feel and want is what's best for us or what's pleasing God. And, and we live in a culture where this is radically opposite to what is being spoken, what is being promoted. And our culture says that, that whatever your, where your strongly felt desires are, those must be good, and you can determine your identity by what your desires are. You know, we see this played out especially in the area of, of sexual orientation and sexuality and what's acceptable and what's good. And this idea has been sold and bought by our culture that, well, if you feel something really strongly, if that's your deeply felt desire, and it's you know, recurring, you really have that desire, then it must be good. And if you step back from that, the idea that you can base your identity upon your sexual desires, I mean, that's like, that's like trying to take a, a ship across the ocean, and you're using the waves as your navigation system. Now, I mean, your sexual desires, I mean, there's nothing more coming, like more irrational and more untrustworthy. And that, like, that is, that's crazy to think that that's what you should base your life and your identity on. And there we live in a world where we are made in the image of God, but we have come under the effects of sin. And that affects our, our thinking, that affects our feelings, that affects our desires. Now, Desires, our desire is not bad. God made us to have good desires. And Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He wants to transform us in such a way so that our desires are His desires. And then He, he wants to fulfill those deep desires. But we have to differentiate between, okay, what, what are the God-given desires, and what's just me? You know, what's coming from a place that that's, that's not trustworthy? That, that may be a sinful desire. Um, in, in Genesis 6, God looked at, looked at the people he had made, and they were very quickly succumbing to sin. And God said in Genesis 6, 5, he said, every inclination of their heart is only evil all the time. Man, that's a strong statement. Like, every inclination of their heart is only evil all the time. That's the effects of sin in our life, apart from God. And so, we have to differentiate between, man, what's just my desire and what's, what's God's desire and, and treat our desires like, like they just might be liars. We look at the story of the Israelites who were in the wilderness and they had desires. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 10 that we read, they, they were craving other things. I, I think that word craving is a really good one. You know, the cravings of our flesh for something. And, man, food, I, I know some of my cravings are not great. 
If, we, if you fed kids everything that they craved, they might look like, well, maybe the average American kid. I don't know. That's, that's, it's not a good idea. But that's, that's what happens if we just listen to those, those cravings. If we just followed every craving, every sexual craving, man, that would not be good. And you know, our culture might look a little bit like it looks today. That's, that's the result. But there, there are other areas. You know, if, if we followed every craving for entertainment or Netflix or whatever it would be, status, approval. And a really good question is, is what, what is driving me? You know, what are the, the desires internally that are driving me? What, what, what is pushing me? What, what, am, what, I, what am I really craving on the inside? And then to ask, is that from God? Or is that something else trying to replace God with an idol? And it may be, you know, the food, sex, like that's obvious stuff. But so often it's much more, it's much less obvious. It's, much, it's more like status. It's more like approval. It's more like affirmation. And God wants us to, to look at those things and say, okay, what's driving me? Am I looking to him or am I looking to something else? I, it's interesting. I was, last week, my, my parents were here for Mother's Day and my grandmother was here. My grandma was 93 years old. And we were talking at lunch. Uh, we had a Mother's Day lunch, grilled some hamburgers. And I forget what brought it up, but we were talking about how, how big of an issue depression is with young people. And we were talking about the connection, you know, and probably most of you know this, that there's a spike from when young people start getting smartphones and social media just became so prevalent in their life to where depression rates spiked at the same time. And, I mean, depression's been around. Depression and anxiety are endemic in our culture and especially among young people. And it's, it's normal and it's real and i and I, I'm not discounting. There, I think there's some unique pressures that people feel today that are, that are unique to our culture. But it's interesting. I, but some of that, you know, it's the idea that, I, I don't want to break down why social media can be a bad idea, but it's, you're craving something. You're craving friendship. You're craving intimacy. You're craving connection. Um, some of those are good things, but it's looking to the wrong thing to meet those. My grandmother said, you know, I just don't get it. When I was young, Young people were not sad. She's like, young people were happy. Like, we were excited about life. And she grew up in the Great Depression. And then World War II. Like, these were dark times. These were difficult times. But she said, man, you like young people, we were happy about life and excited. And it just hit me like, wow. Like, we can think, man, it'd be, you know, so glad we have these things that make life easier than it was in the past. But so many of the things that we can put our trust in, actually they don't deliver. And what would you rather have? Would you rather have a smartphone and social media and all that? Or would you rather be poor and be happy? You know, I, I'd, I'd pick the latter, personally. I'd much rather have that. And so, it's important to look at what are the desires that are the cravings, and what are we looking to, to, to fulfill us. Um, Hebrews 11, another example of that. Moses really lived this out really well. In, back to Hebrews 11. He, he was born as a prince. He wasn't born as a prince, but he was adopted 
by, by the Egyptian, the daughter of the Pharaoh, and grew up in the Pharaoh's palace, had all the luxury, had every opportunity, was, was, was royalty, had riches. But it says in verse, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So wow, he saw that, man, those things that the world is saying, that's, that's where it's at. That's what you should desire. He said, no, I'm going to pick something different than, than those desires. It says in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. God, I love that. Now here he, he grew up, he had every opportunity. He's kind of like an American. Uh, he had the, the availability of money and resources and privilege and entertainment, but he willingly left all that because God had something better for him. And so a question for us is, man, what are the desires that we need to recognize as liars and say no to them for something better that God has for us? All right, third one. Faith that pleases God. I love this. It steps out and acts as if God's promises are facts. It steps out and acts. So often, we, we think we have faith, but it's so passive. It's in our head. And faith always leads to action. It's Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. It's every, it go, there's this whole uh, pattern of language that's repeated. It says, by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such. By faith, this person did this. It, it's never, by faith, this person prayed a prayer. Or by faith, this person thought this. It's always faith that led to action. Faith that led to them accomplishing something. Faith that led them to accomplishing amazing things. They stepped out and did things that were impossible because they trusted God. In, in verse 8, one of those examples, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to, he was to receive as an inheritance. It's interesting, you read the story, God isn't, we don't even know that God told him where he was going to go. He just said, hey, start walking, and I will give you a promised land. And it was as he obeyed and went that God directed him to the place that he had for him. And the same is true for us. We can be like, man, God, I, what's my destiny? What's my calling? What do I, how do I, I want to fulfill that? Well, just take the next step in front of you. What is God calling you to do? Where is he calling you to obey him? What is he calling you to leave behind? Where is he calling you to trust him? Do that, and you'll come into your calling. If faith steps out and acts as if God's promises are facts, what does this look like in our life? Well, if you believed that God was able to get you past that one temptation, then what would you do if you believed that? If you believe that God was able to overcome that, that one issue in your life, how would you act if you believed he was able? If you believed that God wanted to use you to, to lead other people to Christ, then what would you do? Now today, our Faraz is going to get baptized here. 
And you got to meet him. He's, he's a, becoming a good friend of mine. And I, so he'll tell a story when he gets baptized, for those of you who can go downstairs after we're done with the service here. But last fall, Mason and I, we just went to the Union one day, and we were looking for people to talk to about God. And Faraz was one of the people that we had a conversation with about God. And that's how we met him. And like five months later, Faraz reached out and said, Hey, man, I've got a question about God. Give me some direction. And as soon as, and then he ended up giving his life to God that day, last Saturday, a week ago. And it was amazing. But as soon as, after that happened, I looked back and I was like, oh God, I believe you want me to lead people to Christ. And that day I stepped out and did it. But man, this makes me want to do it ten times more. Because it was because I obeyed you that day that something happened. And man, I want to believe, like, let my faith grow. Let me be obedient to step out more frequently, to put myself in a position where we'll see that sort of thing happen. You know, if you believe that God wants to use you to see sick people get healed, injured people get healed, what will you do? Well, you'll probably start praying for more people and stepping out and acting and giving God a chance to, to do something like that. If you believe that God wants you to, to excel in your career, then what will you do? You know, maybe show up for work a little bit earlier or study a little harder. You know, there's a faith in God that results in how we approach our side of the equation that changes everything. I was, uh, a few months ago, it was in March, we were sitting here during our time of, of singing, singing and worshiping God, and I felt like God spoke to me. And for, for like years, we've been trusting God to, to see more people reach, more disciples made, to see Bluemont grow. And I felt like, and then there's starting to be, we saw some exciting growth this, this spring. It was really, it's been really exciting. And I felt like God spoke to me as we were worshiping, hey, you need to expect that there would be 100 people here every Sunday. And I thought, okay, that's cool, yeah. And it was, I think it was like early in, you know, like our church is kind of this way where a lot of times the first song starts and there are like 12 people here. And then by the end of the song, there are 112. And it's like, oh, wow, that's great. But I'm in the front. I'm like, I don't know what's going on behind me. But, okay, God, I trust you. But it was, spring break was coming up. And my question was like, well, spring break, you know, spring break, summer. That's when students are out of town. People, families are traveling. People are gone a lot. Um, you know, I, man, that's exciting. But, but probably not next week for spring break. And I felt like I was like, hey, I want you to start trusting me. Like, no exceptions. Like, so you start thinking, like, I want this church to be 100 people plus on a Sunday. And, so, okay, and there's been a change in my mentality from that. Okay, I'm going to act that way. You, if you count the chairs here this morning, we knew that this is the first Sunday of summer where people are gone. But there are more than 100 chairs in this room. Because we want to have an expectation that, hey, the summer is here. Yeah, people are gone, but we are still trusting God. And we, to do what God has called us to do as a church, it's going to take 100 people that are here for the summer. It's going to take 150 people that are here for the summer. It's going to take not just people that are butts in a seat, but disciples that are following God and being changed and going out and changing the world. And so we have to start. But if we believe that, I'm asking myself that. If I believe that, how am I going to act? How are we going to, how are we going to treat that? Um, we could go on and on, but you know, what practical steps will you take to come into what God has called you into? Maybe it will take overcoming passivity and being more assertive. Maybe it will take 
acting like an influencer when you don't feel like an influencer. You know, that's, that's my life every day. I don't feel like an influencer. I don't feel like I've got anything to say. It's okay, God, I know you call me to do this. It may take getting up an hour earlier to spend time with God and say, God, I, I, need, I need to get something from you here today. It might, it might take inviting someone to lunch or hosting a game night or acting like you're comfortable with risk, even though you're not comfortable with risk. But you're acting like you're comfortable with risk because you're, you're, you're choosing to believe. You're, you're believing that God's promises are true and he's faithful. Um, it may, if, if you believe that, that God has called you into something more, maybe it will take finding creative ways to share the good news with other people. Um, act as if God is going to do impossible things through you. And that's the kind of faith that pleases God. God loves it when we get out in risky situations. God loves it when we get out in a situation where we might fail. God even loves it when we fail. Not because he's like, oh yeah, I like seeing him fail, but that, it's like little kids learning how to walk. You're falling down. You don't learn how to walk unless you fall a bunch. And that's, God loves it when we're stepping out and getting out there and trusting, trusting him in that way. All right. Faith that pleases God. What would it look like for you? Let's go back over this, summarize. It's, God wants us to please Him. Our life is made to please Him. It's easy to be around the things of God, but not actually be living a life that pleases Him. And that's something that each one of us has to answer individually. It's, it's not, what's our brother doing? What's our friend doing? Who do we know? But how is my life pleasing God? So I just want to just ask you, what would it look like for you to offer God your best and trust Him for the rest? What's, what does the best look like for you? And what would it look like for you maybe to, to trust God in a new way of offering Him your best? I want to encourage you not just to, like, oh, that was a nice idea, but what will I do with that? What would it look like for you to treat your desires like they might be liars? What would it look like for you to identify, man, what are just cravings of my, my sinful, the sinful cravings, selfish cravings, that are different from God's plan for my life? And step away from those things. What would it look like for you to step out and act as if God's promises are facts? And where is a place that God is leading you this week to say, man, I'm going to act. I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to act in faith according to what God's called me to do. I just want to encourage us to step into this kind of faith that brings God pleasure. And now Eddie's going to come on up here. We're going we're to receive communion together. And, uh, yeah, any mic should work. I think this is a good chance for us to, to, to come to God with faith and to present our lives to him. I think it's uh